You are listening to the 3CR podcast of Encyclopedia. Encyclopedia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2 p.m. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. This is in Psychedelia on your Sunday afternoon, a rainy Sunday spring afternoon out there. Uh, my name is Nick Wallace, and uh, joining me on the other side of the panel today is Ash Blackwell. Ash, how are you doing? Afternoon. Good to be back in the studio. Ah, it has been a couple of weeks now. You've been um, on adventures. You are in Sydney last week. Yeah, so I headed up for the uh, New South Wales uh, uh, is it, the Users and AIDS Association. It's essentially the peak body for drug users in New South Wales. They had a forum for the second year, a Peers and Consumers Forum. So Excellent. Uh, that's peers who are harm reduction workers who have some lived experience of drug use. So people that maybe are or have been an injecting drug user that work in outreach, needle syringe programs, that kind of thing. Um, and people who also participate in the relatively new uh, DanceWise program in New South Wales. Uh, so I was up there speaking on a panel called... Um, disclosures a call to arms so talking about whether to and how to uh talk about your own drug use for people who um do use drugs it it can be a very big decision especially if you're a public figure um i was on the panel with kate fairman from the new south wales greens who came out openly Mm -hmm. about her own mdma use uh earlier this year so that was quite interesting. And um, there was also Students for Sensible Drug Policy hosted an event on the Sunday for International Overdose Awareness Day. So yes. I went up a little bit early to, to do both. Yeah, yeah. So you were in Sydney for the International Overdose Awareness Day because we had a lot going on here. That's what you heard last weekend. Yeah. Uh, podcast is 3cr.org.au forward slash in psychedelia. I'll follow the links to the program page. Um, and also you can go on uh, our website, in psychedelia.org, uh, and the podcasts will be up there. And also... Thank you to Freedom of Species yes. who were on before us. You can hear them every week from 1pm. Uh, and um, if, if you haven't listened before and you just tune in for this show, they do a hour-long show all about uh, animals and animal rights. So if that's your thing, uh, tune in or you can find them online as well. So on this show, what we do is explore the, uh, the very human issue of um, desiring uh, altered states. Uh, yeah, I mean that's what that's what we talk about at the core. On top of that is layered all the policy issues, all the social issues, all of all of this that comes with um, the the use of substances for altered states. Um, whether we're looking at alcohol, um, legal tobacco, which alters states in a you know a much more uh, nuanced way, I suppose, than alcohol or illicit substances and talking about all the issues that go on there. So that's what we're about. You can find us on social media, on Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, and as I said, follow the uh, podcast as well. Uh, also sitting across from me this afternoon is Nigel Panu. Nigel. Thank you for having me, Nick. Ash. Welcome. Now, Nigel, you're from the uh, Council to Homeless Persons and uh, shortly will be sharing a tale with us about... Um, well, I mean, it's, it's your tale, but essentially demonstrating one tale of many mm. out there that uh how how easy and quick and uh almost without you realizing you can become homeless like that seems exactly. to be the yep. the issue and and also then um not just about um uh n- not just about um uh uh rough sleeping but homelessness as a as it occurs for most Australians which is just simply not having your own home, but it doesn't mean that you don't have friends, relatives, mm, etc. Exactly. 
who you can stay with. But um, yeah. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, also, a little bit later in the show, we'll be talking about uh, vaping. Vaping's been up this week. Uh, there was a uh, an incident in the US where um, people had used a, uh, a, a un unregulated uh, cannabis vaping product. Um, it had, I think, it had vitamin E or vitamin K in it or something. Which so is... I think there's, I think the details are still emerging. Yeah. <clears throat> so there was uh, the one story that I, I I heard was that um, it was from illicit cannabis that still had some fungicides present. The yeah. CDC has also, I, I think, confirmed that there was the this vitamin E product present in some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think. I think it's going to take a little while to figure out exactly what's going on there. But we're going to have a chat with uh, Dr. Colin Mendelson from the uh, from ATHRA, the Australian Tobacco Harm Reduction Association, mm-hmm. um, who uh, have been lobbying for access uh, for uh, for people using vapes to re- a regulated nicotine supply. So at the moment, people are vaping; they're getting their nicotine from overseas or illegally somehow in Australia, um, they want to vape with this. This is a not dissimilar product when it's, um, you know, safely uh, safely manufactured, safely uh, 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 sold, not dissimilar from the sorts of uh, nicotine products that are already on the market, um, the patches, the sprays, the all these sorts of things. It just seems to be that some people look at the act of that breathing out that uh, smoky air or that vape air and they think oh well, that's the problem we need mm. to stop that and well there's like, also it's, a it's misunderstanding a... that that people believe that nicotine is the problem now nicotine is addictive but in and of itself is not a particularly harmful product when used you know in an appropriate dose uh, so we'll be talking to Dr. Colin Mendelson a bit later as well. But right now on In Psychedelia, White Bear, because um, this man makes uh, oh, it, being on a dance floor with White Bear playing a snake pit at Esoteric earlier this year. Whew, like I was working a long shift. I think I had a 12 hour shift and White Bear was on and I had to go over just for like take a 20 minute break. So good. So delightful. Um, it, he makes its atmospheric. It's White Bear the Descent on In Psychedelia. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au.
right there. The descent. Yeah, he's a he's a northern New South Wales-based producer. Um, but with a huge sound. That's why they're on in Psychedelia on 3CR. Uh, if uh, you're interested in the psychedelic renaissance currently uh, ongoing, stay in touch with the uh, local Australian conversation. Uh, follow Entheogenesis Australis on Facebook and check out their YouTube channel as well. Uh, lots of talks from over from 20 years of psychedelic symposia and other events around Melbourne and regional Victoria. Uh, the website is youtube.com forward slash entheo tv. Uh, now, uh, Nigel, Nigel, who is yes, here you. from the uh, Council to Homeless Persons, uh, welcome again. Thank you. <laughs> uh, now, um, we're talking about an article that is published on the website chp.org.au forward slash substance misuse dash homelessness. Uh, and in that, you uh, talk a little bit about your own experience, and it starts in Alice Springs. Tell us about your life in Alice Springs. Yeah, well, I was working as a chef in Alice Springs for about seven years, on and off. I uh, moved up to Darwin for a year as well. But while I was in Alice Springs, I started experiencing some heart attacks, um, and, you know, that sort of led, led to me... Um, in a lot in a roundabout way becoming homeless or like the journey from hospital to um homelessness was a pretty pretty um common so, story so you are in you're in alice springs you're working i imagine quite long hours in hospitality yeah, yeah. um uh, and i mean we know these industries a lot of I, I imagine a lot of drinking and maybe some other things going on as well yeah for sure lots of poly drug use going yeah. on in hospitality yeah i've i've heard stories from uh, especially from more remote areas i think because there's less to do less to engage with your yeah. your your friendship group is the people that you work with it's the same people um so people have ways of you know well I, the drinking culture is huge within the hospitality industry and then people just use other substances just to stay afloat basically so mm. like you know speed just to just to keep, keep going working. through the hours which yeah, is what exactly. we hear on a lot of long haul uh, type jobs amphetamines i mean you know in the 50s and 60s when they were first sort of coming around that's what was or 40s 50s or 30s even um that was you know people were using them for that purpose you used mm. to be able to get uh benzedrine inhalers on airplanes which was <laughs> yeah. just methamphetamine in a in a little inhaler and that was just you know alongside your champagne have some methamphetamine inhaler uh so long history of that especially since we have a stimulant charged culture mm. uh, and economy like that's that's how it all works so but then you started having heart issues yeah and you're in the middle of nowhere so mm. I, support is not very good um you used the um flying doctor service a few times yeah yeah they flew me down to um adelaide via the royal flying doctors uh, about three times on that jet so that was quite interesting experience it was terrifying and interesting and um Exciting all at the same time, if you can imagine that. But um, and, yeah. And then after that, for ongoing treatment, you ended up moving to Adelaide. Yeah. So I um, was in Adelaide for six months um, at a time while they were investigating what was the cause of the heart attacks. It turned out it was a rare autoimmune condition called cardiac sarcoidosis. Mm. So yeah, that's it's very very rare and like the. What? Treatment they ended up using was very experimental treatment. What what does the um what does it mean? Cardio. I mean, I imagine it's a heart something. Yeah, but yeah. It's a... uh, well, it's an autoimmune condition where the body is just basically fighting against itself. So mm. you know, there's um 
nodules and things growing in places where it shouldn't and lymph nodes becoming enlarged. And, right, right, right. Yeah, so it's yeah. just like, yeah, it's wrong. Big. It's not growing in the right way. It's not mm. maintaining itself in a way that's, you know, to the best of your health. Yeah, well, it's an inflammatory condition, so... Yeah. So, so when you're in Adelaide, this is when, obviously, when you're in, when you were working, you were mm -hmm. fine. Then you had the the health issues, and then you're down in Adelaide having this uh, looked into. You can't work, I imagine, at the time right. because exactly. you, yep. Um, and you uh, went into rooming houses. Yeah, when I got out of hospital, the social worker at the Royal Adelaide Hospital set me up with a rooming house in Adelaide. Um, although I was grateful to get somewhere to stay. Anyone who's been in those places know that it can be a quite a, um, a pitfall. Or well, um, tell us about that. Breeding, I, I haven't. I, I imagine some listeners will have um, had that experience, but um, a lot won't. Tell us about what what goes on in a in a rooming house type environment. What's the the, the culture, the community like? Okay, for, from the outside, it uh, looks like a normal suburban house, um, a two story normal suburban house. But when you get inside, there's like sixteen people living in a four-bedroom house, basically. Oh, right. So, yeah. So it's quite crowded. There's two bathrooms. So there, there is, um, you know, a lot of juggling <laughs> and, you know, trying to fit in with other people and their schedules and mm. all that sort of stuff. Um, but there's also a lot of people who are living in those boarding houses have been released from hospital or been released from prison or are very right. um, have very low socioeconomic... Um, yeah, so they don't have a safety net to fall yeah, back on. They've exactly. had something shit happen, and now it's uh yeah. This is this is what what you do have. So you're living with uh sixteen people. So this is um uh, a stressful time, I imagine. Mm. So uh, it probably didn't mean that I imagine you were still maybe drinking, having other things at the time because you you know in well, a stressful environment. <laughs> like, well, actually, being the... in hospital, that I was put on a lot of morphine. Right for um. For um, the pain relief, obviously. Mm. And, um, yeah, when I got out, it was just uh, a... fella fell into it, basically. Yep. In Adelaide at the time, it was readily available. Living at a boarding house, there were lots of people on various substances and various people with mental health conditions as well. So, yeah, it was particularly hard. So, from there, you contacted your mother to move back to... to find somewhere to live to... You know, yeah, well, I started having together. conversations with my mum because we weren't particularly close at that time. But, um, yeah, she eventually <laughs> did agree to have me back to the family home, which was in uh, Country Vic. And, uh, and, yeah. and then I suppose now you're in Country Vic, you've got a, a health issue. You've been essentially your health issue meant that you couldn't work anymore. So now mm. there's that and um, pretty stressful conditions. So, I mean... You know, where from there? What what happened? What, what happened next? Um, yeah. Well, getting out of the um, Adelaide was a good thing at the time because you know I, I got out of the um, the drug culture that I was in, which I found quite um, was the first time that drugs had become a real issue for me in my life. Mm. Like um, we've talked about this before, but the addiction cycle. Like, um, when I was chefing, uh, I used drugs recreationally, um, like, a lot of, a lot, like a lot of Australians do. Yep, never and a problem. You were able to work, you were able to maintain your, mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. Housing, pay bills, 
Maintain is, the car, have a know, dog, have a family, or have a girlfriend, yeah, a partner. Yeah. Which is, you know, one in ten, one in five Australians. Plenty of people who, and if we you know, include alcohol in there, but yeah, and from there. Yeah, so the, the while I was um, experiencing the rooming house homelessness, um, it got particularly hard with um, the heroin at that time and the addiction. And I found myself uh, actually using it as a crutch. And um, yeah, I mean, along with other things like... Um, prescribed medication and alcohol and marijuana but um yeah getting out of Adelaide was actually good because I wasn't really aware of the pharmacotherapies at the time uh, or I'm um, really interested in getting counseling if I'm going to be honest because of the shame surrounding it and like the stigma that I put on myself which is something that I try to fight hard against now because I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you were I mean I, I sort of do this kind of thinking but you were thinking you expect better of yourself and you're mm. like, you know, why would I, I I'm, I'm smarter than that. I, mm. I, I'm not going to get in this silly situation. And, and then it does happen. And you're like, it's, it's a, it's, it's a bit of a pride thing, I think as well. Yeah, exactly. I think we all do it um, to an extent with our, with our vices and think, uh, no, we don't need to face it. We can, you know, pretend that it's something else, but. Yeah. So when you move to country Vic, um, were, were you able to manage the addiction issues? To a degree, I was still using um, marijuana, and that's been a constant in my life for the last 20 years, 25 years. Um, but um, it wasn't a problem. Um, even the marijuana wasn't really a problem. Um, I just found the, um, the misery of my situation and the, the harshness of it all made the, taking the um, heroin... Uh, sort of a more of a pain relief thing, but more of a psychological pain relief, if you can understand that as Absolutely, well. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, just I, and, and I think that's that's the issue that we because your as I said, I, I think your story is probably uh, echoing many stories that are out there of people that fall on, um, you know, because I think there's this assumption that goes in the mainstream media that people uh, choose to become like useless because of their their addiction to drugs because they're just hedonists or whatever like there is a really simple sort of argument that's put forward but when you actually speak to people and hear the stories the the reason why we have drugs in society they're very useful we wouldn't have anesthetic without mm. drugs we wouldn't have the ability to cure diseases without drugs mm. and all the illicit drugs, they're all in, you know, it, it, just because they're illegal doesn't mean that they're different from these sorts of drugs. Well, childbirth, for example, would be so much more painful for women if we didn't have, or if they didn't have drugs. Yeah, 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 very much so. So the 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 issue then becomes uh, how how we regulate these things and then what happens. Because, I mean, the, the other thing, and maybe we can uh, talk a little bit about the announcement this week, uh, that mm. the federal government uh, is putting uh, uh, the, the drug, welfare, drug, drug testing, testing yeah, welfare recipients back mm. on the table. Uh, so here's a policy that's uh, focused at coercing, well, at testing people, which has nothing to do with impairment again. These are tests that will be able to determine if somebody had drugs on a Friday night with their friend, they had a joint with a Friday night with their friend, has nothing to do with them working on a Monday, has nothing to do with their ability to job search and whatnot. But because of that detection, there's an assumption now that that person has a drug problem. So what we're equating is drug use to drug problem. And 
it's we're going also, to also saying that like the most vulnerable and the lowest socioeconomic um, target is, or yeah the cohort in in our society um, are drug takers basically that's what we're saying mm-hmm. like that's all they're good for taking drugs and drinking alcohol and they don't want to get a job. And, yep, yeah, it's that's... it's playing off all the negative stereotypes and um, everybody, you know, all, all of these um, sensationalist news outlets can go and find one example mm. of the person that fits that. Sure, you can do yeah. that with anything. I can definitely find pedophile Christians. It's <laughs> not going to be too hard to find one. But do I label the whole lot with that? No, it's important mm. that we take people as they come. And that's the whole point of a nuanced and uh, more... more, more uh, Careful society, I think. Like a rational rational discussion as well, I think. Like, using facts rather (laughs) than emotion. Because, like, if we look at the facts, they'll say that, you know... Well, not say what they say, but, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. So, over your various times when you've experienced homelessness and addiction issues at at different periods, um, how... How did you manage to resolve those and like how does that kind of fit against or, or contrast to this picture of, of like drug testing and punitive rehab? Like, you know, you test positive and they're just going to shuffle you off to some rehab. Um, now, you know, I, I know because I've read the research on like that that's not a very effective way. Can you maybe talk to your experience and, and like how it would contrast to, to their approach? Well, for me, the the... One of the pathways uh, out of my homelessness experience has been education. I see education as being a really strong um, component when it comes to lifting people or possibility of lifting people out of homelessness or addiction. Because once once you get some education or get educated on a, um, a topic, you can speak more knowledgeably about it and you can also understand it and rationalize it and it helps you start dealing with it like you can also start speaking to counselors and stuff like that because you've got some understanding about the subjects and you're not so afraid of discussing those things so i think that a lot of those things come into play yeah uh so you're working with the council to homeless persons Mm. union now um tell us about your work there what what uh, sort of work does the council to homeless persons do? Okay, I've been at the council to homeless persons for the last two years, and um, I'm one of the PEST members, which means that peer education support program. So we're people with lived experience of homelessness, and we go out and advocate on homelessness issues, develop, pres- uh, deliver presentations and trainings, um, so people can understand homelessness, um, deliver trainings to businesses so they can connect with people who are homeless and understand. So it's connect respect training, that's what it's called. So and this is about breaking down those stigmatizing exactly. stereotypes yep. um, through com- and that's the way that we have to do it. It's just unfortunate that we have a combative uh, mainstream media uh, that instead of doing this job, which is what they should be doing, talking to you guys, um, they're they're more than happy to nail the stereotypes up and then pursue a, a fear-based agenda. Well, just on a good note, uh, the CHP is actually uh, producing a the Australian Homelessness Media Awards this year, and that's, that will be going on in October, along with uh, um, our Victorian uh, National... or the Victorian Homelessness... Um, for, uh, conference yep yep mm. <laughs> sorry that's right so, so yeah 
So that's so the, a good the, thing. Is that going to be a recognition of uh, journalists that have uh, reported well mm-hmm. on? Exactly. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, th- I think that kind of thing's important. AOD Media Watch is uh, doing a similar sort of role uh, on alcohol and other drug issues. Mm. Uh, and I think it's important to recognise because, you know, it's very easy to see the loud, obnoxious news. It's all over out because everybody gets angry at it. So it's very easy to see. And sometimes it can be uh, easy to then miss that there is good stuff going on. Mm. And highlighting good journalism in those areas uh, and, and praising people for it, I think, is a good motivator. Yeah. So um, just before we came to air, you were kind of highlighting the fact that um, what the general public often see, you know, like more homeless people mm. rough sleeping on the street, that's just the tip of the iceberg of what homelessness actually looks like. Can you maybe just talk us through, you know, what homelessness actually looks like and the various different okay. kinds of, of ways that people could exist in that state or, or become homeless? Well, if we want to take homelessness as a definition from what the Australian Bureau of Statistics says, it says that um, rough sleeping is only 7% of the problem, but it is the most visible um, part of homelessness. So when you're down on uh, Burke Street or Elizabeth Street, you'll see people that are rough sleeping. And yeah, it is highly visible. But the, um, the other 93% is... Um, People are in unsecure housing or unsecure tenancies or overcrowded housing or hospitals or um, even um, camping people who are camping. So there Greg are. Greg <laughs> Sorry, that was what Greg Kasarik was doing for a long time. Mm. Camping yeah. as a. Yep. Mm. Yeah. yeah, well, that is a, that's a form of homelessness as well. Because mm. um, you don't have uh, your own uh, privacy, private space or space that you can have people over. Or um, you know, safety and security, basically. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah, and that's. Uh, I think that's the. Um, I mean, as we were saying at the at the start, that's that's that missing piece that those people, because we don't see them, it's easy to to ignore those people. But um, I think most people uh, would have experienced somebody in their life going through that at some point mm. in their life, and I think that's the point that. These things happen, but they don't happen forever. It can just be a mm. short amount of time. Exactly. It can be devastating at the time, but to support and to understand people is to is to show them that you understand what's going on in their life, not treat them with that, you know, the, 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 this kind of disdainful assumption that mm. gets pushed at the moment, mm. thinking that somebody brought it upon themselves. And actually, there's something feral about that in... Um, like on on Scott Morrison's uh, particular brand of uh, Christianity, mm. uh, they have this uh, theory uh, going that um, those who are very wealthy deserve it because they brought it upon themselves, which uh, uh. so facto means that those mm-hmm. who are very poor uh, deserve it because they brought it upon themselves. And it's a you know I mean this is this is the the it's the metaphysics of the uh, of it, but this is what the prime minister believes at the moment, and I feel like we can see that in some of the policies that are being mm. pushed out. Uh, especially the the welfare thing, yeah, um, punitive and and ones. we'll talk shortly with um, Dr. Colin Mendelson from the Australian Tobacco Harm Reduction uh, Association um, about uh, the increases in tobacco prices and also the vaping scare. Just before we do move on, though, I think the Victorian Parliament is quite interesting right now with such a large and diverse crossbench. And one of those crossbench members, I believe it was Rod Barton from the Transport Matters Party. Um, coming into Parliament, one of the things that he noticed was like he'd go to council meetings and he would 
meet with stakeholders and he was shocked to discover how bad the homeless problem was and how little was being done to resolve it. So he actually referred an inquiry to the Legal and Social Affairs Committee and it was debated in June, had overwhelming support from the parliament for a a proper in-depth look into it. So if you are someone who knows about this issue, who's experienced homelessness, uh, I think submissions are open at the moment and you can just go to parliament.vic.gov.au, go to the committee's page and it's the Legal and Social Affairs Committee. I think Fiona Patton is the chair of that committee. Um, So they'll be having a look at this over the next 12 months and hopefully that will lead to some, some stronger policies we'll, we'll put a link to it on our website and on social media as well uh this is in psychedelia on 3cr community radio 855 am uh, 3cr digital and 3cr.org.au so i'm here at the school kids strike for climate action with some of the people who are on strike today can you tell us your names and how old you are uh, so my name's ivy and i'm 12 years old my name is marta and i am eight years old my name's Layla and I'm 11 years old. Inequality is at a 70 year high. Our jobs are going offshore, our jobs are being casualised. 40% of us are trapped in insecure work. The richest 1% have more than the 70% of us at the bottom. And workers will stand up and fight. You've never seen a fight before until you back the Australian workers into a corner and tell them they've got no rights. Those workers will fight. 3CR, union issues and workers' struggles. Feed Radical Radio. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. Don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid? Tune into the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools. 12pm on Saturdays here on 3CR. 855 and AM Dial podcast streaming live on 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it. It's in Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. Right now on the line, we have Dr. Colin Mendelson from the Australian Tobacco Harm Reduction Association or ATHRA, ATHRA ATHRA.org.au, I think it's the website. Uh, Colin, welcome. Thank you, Nick. So this week, uh, we've seen a bit of uh, news about, and depending on what news sources people are listening to, they might have the impression uh, that there's some kind of solid proof now that vaping uh, is really bad for you and causes all sorts of things. Can you run us through what's happened this week, Colin? Yeah, look, these news reports have been really misleading. What was What's been happening in the US is that there's been an outbreak of... Uh, a severe respiratory illness, so a lung disease, uh, in people who had been vaping. And we now know that this was actually only in uh, people who were using uh, cannabis in uh, their vaping devices. And it has nothing to do with vaping and nicotine to stop smoking. So people have been buying illicit drugs on the black market, um, cannabis in particular. These products were contaminated and people got sick. And... Unfortunately, a lot of news sources and, and advocates were implying that this was just nicotine vaping, which which you know, which saves lives. And unfortunately, you know, they were sending out a message that people should really reconsider what they're doing, which I think is would be really dangerous. So, would it be um, Ash here, Colin? Hi. Um, Hi, Ash. 
Would it be safe to say that the, the problem here is probably more to do with unregulated products than it is to do with vaping or even to do with vaping cannabis per se? Yeah, exactly. I think there hasn't been one case of this respiratory illness which has been linked to a regulator or, or um, uh, approved um, properly commercially purchased products. So these are all products bought on the street. And, you know, any street drug, you know, there's just risks. We, we know that there's no quality control, safety control, and, and that's proven to be the case here. And do we, know, do we know much about exactly what it is that's caused the problems yet? Yeah, well, the, the CDC has identified that most victims used THC oils, that's the psychoactive ingredient in cannabis, and most tests so far have identified significant amounts of what they call vitamin E acetate, which is an oily compound which, like any oil, when you inhale it into the lungs, it causes intense inflammation and you get what's called lipoid pneumonia, which is very serious. And that, that, that is oil found. I mean, there are no oils in vaping solutions, but in normal nicotine vaping solutions. This is just an illicit production method that hasn't been regulated and has created a very toxic contaminant. So, I mean, it seems like you've uh, made a pretty good argument for why we need to uh, regulate the market for vaping uh, fluids. Well, exactly. Yeah. But that's exactly. not, I think, not yeah. the conversation that's been going on. No, exactly. Look, I think... I think this is going to happen. People are going to vape anyway. We already have 250,000 vapors in Australia. Some of them will buy products on the black market. Others will import very highly concentrated nicotine from overseas, and there are risks in that. But there's no quality control. There's no safety. You know, there's no guarantee of child-proof bottles. If we regulate these products and limit their sale to young people, uh, ensure quality and proper testing and... Um, uh, child-proof bottles, um, we're, we're going to obviously get a, a better outcome. So for people in Australia who, who are vaping, um, what kind of advice would you provide for them to, to try and avoid some of these risks? You know, I think the, the key message is that if you're vaping, stop smoking, you're vaping nicotine, you, you do not need to be concerned. If you're buying a, a commercial product uh, from a, a reputable uh, supplier, and there are plenty of those, I certainly wouldn't buy any products, including nicotine, from the black market because you don't know what you're getting. And I certainly wouldn't be buying illicit street drugs because, you know, we've seen that these are uh, are very dangerous and unpredictable. So I, I think it would be a real mistake if people who vaped, who were ex-smokers, went back to smoking because they were worried about the risks mm. because the risks of vaping a commercial nicotine liquid are very small. Uh, and tiny compared to smoking. So with the with the cannabis as well, um, you know, I've working in the harm reduction space more broadly. I've always encouraged people to um, consider vaping cannabis mm. uh, to mm. reduce their risk of smoking. Mm. Just to kind of get in the weeds a little bit here, I have seen in in the black market here in Australia some people starting to produce cannabis oils uh, in the kind of black yeah. market space. Yeah. W- yeah, would it be an idea for people to maybe consider avoiding those products in in the short term, given the risk there, and and maybe just consider a dry herb vaporizer as a safer alternative? Is is that in line but with that what would we're be seeing? Reason. Yes, I think that's a reasonable compromise because. Yeah, you know, on the black market, you don't know what you're getting, and and certainly oils 
um, are toxic to the lungs. And this hasn't happened before, but suddenly people are making them differently and they've identified this particular vitamin acetate oil. We haven't uncovered any cases in Australia, but certainly the dry herb vaporising is certainly safer than, than smoking so, uh, THD. So what's the um, what you know what's next in the battle for vaping? Because this is something we've been following for a number of years, ever since it's grown in popularity. There has been this um, growing opposition as well uh, in regulating it, despite the fact you can still buy cigarettes from over the counter from probably 500 metres from where you're sitting right now. You can buy cigarettes, but you can't have a vaporiser. Where's the conversation yeah. at? Well, it, it's a totally immoral and unscientific uh, policy. I mean, Australia is the only Western democracy that bans the sale of nicotine, sale and use of nicotine for vaping. I mean, it's, mm. it's hard to understand because if that was achieving something, yes, then you could possibly justify it. But in Australia, over the last six years, our smoking rates have not fallen significantly. Um, you know, we've been in spite of the highest cigarette prices in the world, in spite of plain packaging and very strict tobacco controls, we're not winning. Whereas in other countries like the US and the UK, where vaping's widespread, tobacco smoking rates are falling faster than ever. And they're certainly the less in Australia. So we, we have just seen another 12.5% hike in the prices mm. of cigarettes. Mm. We, we also have in the studio Colin um, Nigel from the Council to Homeless Persons. Mm-hmm. Do, do you, either of you maybe want to make a comment about how these high smoking prices impact people who don't have the ability to quit smoking? Mm. Mm. Yeah, uh, I do. Uh, look, maybe I'll say something then, Nigel, but look, prices of tobacco triple since 2008. They've gone up faster than any other consumer product in Australia. And it's created enormous financial hardship because people who are on low incomes um, smoke more heavily, they find it harder to quit, and it often leaves very little for food and accommodation. If you're on New Start and you buy a packet a day, that's 72% of your annual income. Um, It doesn't leave much else. I mean, it's a real social justice issue, and that's a really regressive tax, I think. Yeah, and you think about the reasons why why people smoke. They smoke because um, they need relaxation or they smoke mm. to get a bit of, of space in their lives. Maybe, mm. as Ash, when I was talking about earlier, they may, they may need some space from their kids or, you mm. know, just to time out, like, just from the, the harshness or the the the, the way, way the day is going. So mm. all those things come, come into play, I think. Yeah, I, I think we're very sorry. I think we're very punitive and very judgmental yeah, of smokers. Are. But you know, we need to have a bit more compassion. Most smokers really want to quit, mm-hmm. um, and they're smoking for a reason. That it's doing something for them to help mm. them get through through life. And I think we're pretty tough on the smokers. I think we need to support them more. And that's one thing vaping can vaping can do. It can say, look, we know you need your nicotine. We understand that, and you're going to use it anyway. Let's use a safer version which you know you might find relaxing and which is much cheaper and which you'll, you'll yeah, feel Yeah, I was going to ask that. Is vaping much cheaper than cigarettes? Because I know the price oh, of yes. cigarettes is about yeah. $30 a packet. But Exactly, mm. yeah. Now, look, in Australia, um, a pack of the leading brand is about 30 bucks, a pack of 20 And to vape is about 85% cheaper. Mm. Right. 85% cheaper. So it's a huge saving for someone who could make the switch. And, and they still get their nicotine, they still get the hand-to-mouth experience, they get the sensation of smoking. So health-wise, it would be a benefit? They can, but, health-wise, so they, it would be a benefit? they're not giving up so much. And monetary-wise, it would be a benefit? 
Yeah, so I can't yeah. see the, the problem with it mm. personally. But <laughs> no, I mean, that's exactly. it. It's, it's not, and I think this is the important thing as well, vaping is not being put forward as a therapeutic intervention to your mm. smoking addiction. Vaping no. is more like an alternative product mm. on the market to tobacco and they should be treated in the same way or although it's sort of treated in the same way in all the bad ways but none of the good ways at the moment because you still have restrictions on where you can vape that apply to tobacco but you cannot get again vaped nicotine you cannot get it in melbourne legally you cannot get it in australia legally unless you have a prescription from your doctor <laughs> which, which, which uh, the doctors won't provide yeah most doctors, doctors won't, won't. Yeah. i think there's been a few doctors uh i don't know have you ever prescribed uh, people <laughs> a vaping device colin I, I prescribe nicotine all the time. Ni yep, so there are some. And, and it's quite legal. It's quite legal. But there's only yeah. a handful of doctors that will in Australia because, you know, the health authorities say, oh, we're not so sure about this. Um, we, we're going to wait a few more years. So doctors are, are anxious about it. Hmm. So if you know the so it's a matter of if you know the right people, which is not really a good way to manage a public health system. Probably shouldn't yeah. be based on knowing the right people, because probably that means that the people that really need to know the right people yeah, don't know exactly. the right people. Exactly. And we're talking about a product that's going to kill up to two in three long-term mm. users. So these are people who've tried to quit and just can't. They're mm. going to smoke anyway. And there's yes, there's a small risk in vaping. It's not risk-free, but um, people who make the switch feel so much better, they're exposed to much less toxins, their health improves, and they save a fortune. It's a no-brainer, really. Mm. Dr Colin Mendelson, uh, where can we find more information about your work and the uh, Australian Tobacco Harm Reduction Associations? Yeah, look, I think the first point of call is, is our website, which is www.athra.org.au, and there's a lot of information there about vaping and about the legal aspects. And if you have a doctor who would be willing to prescribe, we're very happy to send them all the information that they need for them to, to make that decision and to do it properly. It's very easy for doctors. It's completely legal. And, you know, if a patient's going to smoke anyway, it's a life-saving um, switch. And to be honest, I think doctors have an, oral, an, an ethical responsibility to prescribe it for, for in that setting. Yeah. Well, I hope that we do see some movement on this issue soon, but it's unfortunate to see uh, news so misrepresented and then used as a reason to justify the reason yeah. why that happened. It's the most yeah. backward thinking, but it's uh, it's why it falls under this same sort of banner of it's the same prohibitionist thinking where people think yeah. that they've banned something hard enough, it'll go away. Yeah, yeah. exactly. not going to work. Thank and, you, and when you, when you try and ban something, you just push it underground. Exactly. It creates more yeah. problems than, than you had to start with. So, you know, this is not the way to go. Thank you very much, Colin. My pleasure. Thanks for the call. Enjoy your Sunday afternoon. Bye. This is in Psychedelia, and we were just chatting with Dr. Colin Mendelson from the Australian Tobacco Harm Reduction Association. Athra, A-T-H-R-A dot org dot A-U is the website for more information about that. Don't believe everything you hear in the uh, mainstream media when it comes to vaping uh, because they often mix up the facts. That's why you're listening to this show, because we try to unmix the facts <laughs> for you, give them to you straight, and then you can... I don't know, mainline them straight into your brain. Or I'm trying to drug reference this too much. We got a song, <laughs> Nigel. Um, you you picked this song. It's um a band you know of by a Holy Holy um, Australian band. Uh, Faces is the name of the song. Where are they from? Uh, Brisbane, I believe. Brisbane. Here they are. Holy Holy.
Faces and faces and faces and faces I take the street and you take the paces It was a lonely, I couldn't make it I couldn't know to the love of a lover Ages and ages and ages and ages Valleys are made by the creeping of glaciers I couldn't make it better than I would have been I was alive in the life of another Faces of races and strangers and wasters Beautiful hatred composed into phrases Holy Holy Faces on 3cr.org.au and 855am. My name's Nick. Sitting across from me, Ash Blackwell and Nigel Pernu from the Council to Homeless Persons. Um, now, Ash, you were in Sydney for International Overdose Awareness Day. Yeah, popped up there to check out, uh, you know, how the Sydney crew do things. Mm-hmm. And um, Students for Sensible Drug Policy Australia, the uh, Sydney chapter new south wales chapter held a, an event last sunday and we're going to hear a, a edited segment from um one of the speakers lance Priestley, who uh helped set up the t- tent city there um and has done a lot of work with uh homeless people i think he helped set up a street kitchen to to you know sort of get some food out there and he's um 
generally just one of those kind of firebrand activists who's like a, a, a don't beg for scraps, go out there and do the thing kind of person. Mm. So Lance Priestley um, is our next speaker. Please make him feel really welcome. How are you guys? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've totally forgotten what I was going to talk here about, but I'll talk anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want a microphone, Lance? Nah, I'll, okay. I'll just raise my voice. Can anyone not hear me? That's good. Nah. Okay. Um, now, look, the first thing that occurs to me is that, you know, a lot of these, you know, when overdoses happen, it doesn't matter whether they were um, legal drugs or illegal drugs, they tend to happen in a non-clinical situation. Okay. You know, on the train, um, at home, wherever you're out, partying, whatever. You know? um, so all the, all the resources that we would like in an ideal world to have there usually aren't there. Um, so, you know, I work with the homeless and we're largely used to making it up. Um, you know, a few years ago we got a lot of people trained in arcane, but the turnover of homeless people in camps is so high that we, you know, we have to train new people all the time and sometimes we fuck up on that. We forget to get new people trained. So, you know, the simplest way, with, especially with opiate overdoses, look, the simplest way is, if you think they overdosed, look, it could be a lot of other medical conditions as well, especially with older people. Right? They need a fucking ambulance. That's the first thing. Yeah, and like, like, like other people have seen here, yeah, they need an ambulance. But um, with like with us, first thing we do is to fulfill their place. Um, if they if they still don't come around after after that, and we're in a position to do so, we'll walk people into the shower. And I've seen so many people snap out of it um, with the effects of the water. Um, leave their clothes on. They'll, they'll probably be embarrassed if they wake up and you've taken it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, the water, look, I've seen that work 80% of the time. Even after the ambulance guys have turned up, they've woken up and the, and the ambos have said, OK, we're not needed. What we do on the streets, if you extrapolate that everywhere else, you know, the first thing is don't go out, but, you know, don't go out doing drugs by yourself. Go out as a group and have one person that's like driving. You have your, what do you call it, driver? Your designated. <laughs> 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 yeah, you have your designated driver when you're driving. So you have your designated person and everyone else can out, go out and have a good time and know that so-and-so over there is having a good time watching you. Um, and that you're going to be relatively safe, you know. Um, and if you're going to these fucking gigs where where they're pulling cops all over the um, over the tents and all that, uh, over the testing tents, well, do what some communities I know do: go in blocks of a hundred yeah? uh, and just walk through. Um, that's what. Mm my ethnic community do, and um, they're fine. Mm. They've never been pulled up in one of those weak shit. And that was Lance Priestley, um, <clears throat> an activist from Sydney who's involved in the Occupy movement and the tent cities up there in New South Wales. 
And that was at the International Overdose Awareness event up in Sydney uh, last Sunday. And we had some audio from uh, the Melbourne event that was held at Richmond Town Hall for International Overdose Awareness Day on last week's show. Uh, so please <coughs> check out the uh, podcast uh, at inpsychedelia.org or 3cr.org.au forward slash inpsychedelia. Um, now we're uh, running running low on time, but maybe um, I'm just trying to... I mean, we've talked a little bit about the, the welfare uh testing issue which is something we're going to see uh, i mean uh, jackie lambie has come out it's because it's down to the cross benches and jackie lambie has come out and said that she's not going to support it unless it's for drug testing parliamentarians as well and i think a lot of people have applauded her mm. for this move it annoys me yeah i look i'm <laughs> i'm not into it like and the point because like, the point is that this drug testing is not impairment based it's well, not. A, it's not whether or not somebody is high on the job. Yep. It's reaching into their private lives and going, "Ha, huh, you're not allowed to have a joint on a Friday night." It's none of anybody else's business. Well, and I what think you it's do. likely to target the politicians that I might actually like. Now, it's a bit of hypocrisy <laughs> sometimes for them to, um, you know, potentially be using illicit drugs and then voting for policies that, mm. that discriminate against people. That's a. That's a hypocritical and cynical kind of point of view but at the same time uh, you know like even if they're quietly sympathetic and the way that these debates often play out is like you don't actually hear the politicians who might be quietly on our side because that's argued out in the party room Mm. now I've known some people on the conservative side of politics who support more liberal drug policies Argue, you know, I know that they've argued really strongly in those closed rooms for positive policies and drug testing politicians who might like to smoke a bit of weed and, and have some sympathy towards that. It's likely to, you know, kind of impact the politicians that I might like the most, right? I mean, I think that's and I think if it's an if it's an unethical policy for poor people, if it's an unethical Mm. policy to drug test the whole workforce when it's not related to safety, you know, fine for pilots, fine for you know, yeah, like people operating heavy machinery, stuff, train drivers. (laughs) Maybe you want a greater level of, uh, you know, kind of assurance there that people are sober. But um, like I disagree with the policy broadly so just because we don't like politicians um i I think that if we're morally consistent then we should oppose it for for them as well just just from being from that lower socioeconomic demographic myself i can definitely say that if it comes up if it comes into effect for um people on new start then it should come into effect for people on in politics uh, well, I, I, yeah, I, I have some sympathy is, for that, but yeah. I don't want it to come into effect yeah. at all. I think that what <laughs> I agree with you as well. Yeah. What we need yeah. to focus on is it's bad policy in the first place. Yeah, it's a t- it otherwise is. it becomes tit for tat, and I get that. Like you want to kind of get them back, but we need to f- go back to the start and think: Why are we doing this? Actually, it's not a good idea. It shouldn't be happening in wo- most You're workplaces. Right. It should be impairment based. If somebody is impaired, they shouldn't be on the job. Querying the areas up next. Uh, we'll see you next week from two o'clock. <laughs> see ya. This has been a 3CR podcast. You can hear in Psychedelia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.